Hello, this is Margarita Monet from Edge of Paradise, and you are listening to the Metal Pit Podcast. Welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast, where we delve deep into the albums and bands that shaped metal. Please visit us on our website at www.themetalpit.org. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Metal Pit and on YouTube channel, our YouTube channel at The Metal Pit 666. And we have an email address for the podcast, which is podcast at the metal pit.org. If you have any comments or album suggestions or complaints about our top 10 album list thing. <laughs> okay, so I'm your host, Blake. And today I have with me two of my contributors to the Metal Pit website. I have Eric. Hi, Eric. How you doing? Hey, what's up, Blake? How are we doing this evening? Good. And I have a newcomer to the podcast episodes, and that is Melissa. How are you, Melissa? I am well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, you're from Boston, as I just found out a few minutes ago. I am. Because <laughs> I can't keep track of everybody sometimes. Now, I wanted to ask you, since this is your first time being here, when did you discover heavy metal music? So I'm um, probably older than a lot of people, and I've been a metalhead for about 45 years now. Um, uh, my gateway was Kiss, like most kids from the 70s. <laughs> and I had um, my sister's first husband, who wasn't much older than me, got me into uh, stuff like Rainbow and um, some Prague, but also some Black Sabbath and UFO. and from there, you just kind of progress and you look through people's albums and you put stuff on or you go in and back in the day, you just go in and look for cool album covers and, and buy albums that way. And you listen to the radio. And so it just sort of happened for me organically. There wasn't like a light bulb didn't go off one day. It just sort of like it was I just started listening to stuff I really liked. I sort of got away from the top 40 that most like nine, 10 year olds listen to and just sort of moved into, um, into the heavier stuff. Good. And now like, uh, Oh, the group we're going to talk about today is Aaron Maiden. And that is the first group that I heard that I actually knew what heavy metal meant. Cause I didn't really, I mean, I heard stuff on the radio, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, ACDC, Aerosmith, whatever, but I never really knew the term heavy metal till I discovered Iron Maiden and started reading all about, stuff but that was the number of the beast album and eric what i forget what was there one group that you first heard that got you into heavy metal wow um i would probably have to say you know i heard i heard so i have an older sister she would play some albums um in her bedroom and i would hear some stuff and i remember hearing like it's funny like blizzard of oz after so many years that was one that i i remember hearing I definitely heard some Judas Priest and uh, Maiden's one that just like those twin harmonies. I heard, you know, Maiden and I was like, wow. I was like, not only do I want to buy that, but I'm going to be able to do that on the guitar. <laughs> so I got to say it was, it was Maiden. What album, what song you got me, but, uh, <laughs> but Maiden got me hook, line and sinker. Well, we're all pretty old, I think. So it's hard to remember <laughs> everything here. <laughs> Now, Melissa, before we get on to the Iron Maiden album that we're going to talk about, you also have your own podcast, so I thought you could just tell us a little about that to see if anybody wants to go listen to your podcast. Well, thank you. Um, it's called Metal Chat with Melissa. It's on all the platforms. You can find me everywhere. I do reviews and concert reviews, and I reminisce about days of old, and I talk to some bands and I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So it's a little bit of everything. It's kind of a mixed bag. So please check it out. Um, it'll chat with Melissa and you can find me on Twitter or X. I think it's called X now uh, <laughs> at metal chat pod. Okay. That's good. Yeah, I did. I looked at my phone. I said, what's this thing X mean? What is this? <laughs> that's me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, Not, I, mean, I barely, I barely use Twitter, but I was like, did somebody hack into my phone and put it on an app? I didn't know. It not a, yeah. Not a fan <laughs> of the change. No. <laughs> no. 
But anyway, okay. So today we're doing our third episode about Iron Maiden. Uh, we have done their 1980 debut album. Me and uh, Tom Elke did that one. And then we did the 1982 Number of the Beast, which was me and Eric. And that was Bruce Dickinson, of course, first uh, Maiden album. And today we're doing their fifth studio album, Power Slave. I'm not going to read a bio about Iron Maiden because if you don't know who they are, well, listen to the other two podcast episodes. You don't know who they are. Why are you listening to a heavy metal podcast? (laughs) Yes. And I'm sure since you know the the title of the podcast will be Iron Maiden Power Slave, I guess you're going to know who they are probably if you're listening. So let's see. Okay, so me and Eric have already discussed when we first heard Iron Maiden on our other episode. So if you want to hear that, go back to the Number of the Beast episode and listen to that. So I'm going to ask Melissa, you already mentioned when you first started listening to Heavy Metal, but what about Iron Maiden? When, when, what album was the first Iron Maiden album you heard? So I used to listen to the BBC Friday night uh, rock show on a shortwave radio stereo for these people that I, with that these people that I uh, babysat for had. Um, and I used to babysit their kids every Friday night was their date night. And so I used to listen to this show. And it was, you know, spotty at times and it crackled and all that kind of stuff. But I could kind of get the gist. And so I heard a lot of this is right around 1979. So we're talking about the new wave of British heavy metal. And so I'm hearing everything from Tigers to Saxon to they they were playing Priest even and Motorhead and Diamond Head and, and just a little bit of everything, including Iron Maiden. And I really didn't know what who was who and who wasn't who. And I believe, and there's been some conjecture about this, but I I think the very first song I ever heard was Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. But the very first song that I remember as an Iron Maiden song is Running Free. And subsequently, not too long after this, in early 1980, I moved from the New England area down to Florida. And I went to the mall. And I went and I asked the guy at the record store if he had the running free single and like the 45. Yes. And he said, no, but I have this. And he had the first album. And so I bought the first album. And so that's how I got into Iron Maiden. Now, so you would have kept buying them. So Power Slave would have had the other four. I have have everything. And I, so I've been following them in basically real time. Yes. Okay. Now, for me, like, I'm just briefly going to mention, like I mentioned it earlier, Number of the Beast was the first one I had. So as soon as I got that, I went and bought the first two. And then, like you, every time that album came out, I bought it. And Eric, when you, what what album, Iron Maiden album, was it that you heard first? Was it the first one or? Nope, I'm not quite, not quite, Um, I guess, uh, golden as you two, as far <laughs> as, like, keeping up. Nope, no age comment golden with like starting with the very first the debut album you know i'm i'm mildly jealous but so i got turned on to maiden like live after death somewhere in time like those two and the video for wasted years came out and i should have backed up earlier i saw the poster and the manassas mall for aces high and i said my gosh i've got to listen to this band and you know, I'm not, I don't want to do too many spoilers, but yeah, that's, that is one of my favorite songs. So, um, but yeah, I'm a little bit of a, I guess you could say late bloomer. I mean, I, I see that people get, have gotten into Maiden on like Brave New World and, you know, Seven Sun and such. We talked about that a little bit earlier, but for me, it was more the live after death somewhere in time. And then I jumped back. I want, I'm, I'm going to say pretty convincingly, maybe 98% chance we're going beast just because that album art scared the bejesus out of so many uh, moms and dads. And I think that's kind of why I went for it and saw the video. And yeah, and then I, I kind of worked my way, peace of mind, power slave. Then I jumped back to the Paul Diano stuff. I think, that live after, I think that Live After Death was a lot of people's gateway that are around our age. Um, that mm-hmm. was kind of their gateway to, to Maiden. A lot of people have said that that's their first album that they got. Um, and yeah, yeah. We'll, and I was gonna. I know Eric wants to talk about Live After Death, but we'll do that later. Okay. Uh, just a I got bit. plenty to yeah. say about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> so with this album, just for anybody that doesn't know, the lineup is Bruce Dickinson on vocals, on guitar, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith. And we got Steve Harris, of course, on bass. And drummer was Nico McBrain. That was his second album, right? Yes, I believe. Yes. And now usually if you listen to some of my episodes, I check out setlist.fm for how many times they play the songs live. I'm not going to get into the whole thing as often as I do, because I think it's getting boring, possibly. <laughs> but I, I will say, so. according to Setlist FM, two songs on this album they've never played live. Does Do you have any guesses on what two songs they've never played live? Well, I know what they are, so. Um... Okay, well, Eric, let's, uh, let's let Eric guess first. It's funny. So, Blake, I, I was actually going to put this in my notes just to kind of to cue you up, but you already beat me to it. Um, or we're on the same wavelength, but. You know, Lost for Words has to be one that I, I don't think they've ever played that before. They have. Well, you're wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. Shoot. <laughs> okay. Uh, you both shot me down, but hey, I, I was just curious because it's an instrumental. It's not even one of their most popular instrumentals, it, you know, at least talking to other fans. They've actually um, played my, that 70 times. Okay. Live. Um, the, the other one, so the other one's kind of tough. I'm looking at my notes here. And uh, I think you all are going to be entertained by some of my comments. Hopefully so. <laughs> Maybe the listeners too. We'll see. Um, gosh, I would have to say it's between Flash of the Blade and the Duelist. Um, Maybe Actually, yeah. the, Duel the, the Duelist? It's both oh. of those. Okay. Both Flash yep. of the Blade and the Duelist. Apparently, could, according to that, they've never played them live. Okay. Even though Fla I love Flash of the Blade. I so, do too. So. They're cool songs. <laughs> but whatever, we'll get into that. Yeah. And so what we'll song cover. on this album do you think has been played the most live? I know, Melissa, you probably know, but Eric. <laughs> Two Minutes to Midnight. Yes, that's by a long shot, actually. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised they've played it. Yeah. It says 1,400 times compared to Aces High, which is 550. I okay. would have thought they would have played Aces High as just as much, but I guess mm -hmm. not. Yeah. And the song Back in the Village apparently has only been played twice. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Which is another one of my favorite songs. But anyway, <laughs> so let's get to the team. album then. Let's get to, we'll start with Aces High. Let's let, since Eric, you mentioned Aces High before, I'll let you start talking about Aces High again. Sorry. Excellent. High. Uh, I appreciate you throwing it my way, Blake. So what an intro here with the guitar harmonies, and then you have the bass and the drums uh, with the staccato intro. Man, what a great song. The trademark har harmonies, um, and they have never sounded better. Dickinson provides his range um, while singing the chorus. Run, live to fly, fly to live, do or die. And he really, uh, you can hear the audience um, live after death. They're really getting into that. And I'll definitely touch on that album. It sounds like Melissa has that one in the queue as well. But uh, what a really, and I didn't write this down, but such a driving song, man. It's got a great tempo. That face is high. And Melissa. So what a great opener. And that's why they have opened a lot of their tours with this song, because it just kicks everything off with a bang, right? The Legacy of the Beast tour is a fine example of the, you know, like it just, it's like, it's it's the perfect opener. Sequencing is very important, and there's absolutely nowhere else to put this song but number one. And like for me, I the first tour I saw was the Power Slave tour, and I think Eric wasn't that your first tour also. Power Slave. Sad. sad oh no, it wasn't. Oh, sorry. It was the somewhere. Oh okay. And Melissa, what somewhere. was your first tour? And My me. first tour was, um, I saw them when they opened for Judas Priest on the Point of Entry tour, Killer's Point of Entry tour. That would have been the so Killer's like, album? Oh, okay. Wow. So, yeah, Aces High, and they still, like, the last time I seen Aaron Me, which has been, I don't know, five or six years ago, they still started with Aces High. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And they had the big plane over in the head and stuff like that. So now we get to two minutes a minute. And I do have something to say about this. Uh, Melissa, you mentioned shortwave radio before. And I used to have a shortwave radio too, since I didn't play heavy metal on regular radio stations like your top 40, except for, you know, Paranoid by Sabbath and Stairway to Heaven or whatever. Not that that's heavy metal, I guess. But... <laughs> 
So I bought a shortwave radio and I used to listen to a station of Erie, Pennsylvania. And I remember before this album came out, they debuted two minutes to midnight on this station. And I remember the DJ saying something, something like this song is going to break your grandma's pacemaker. I just remember. <laughs> I don't exactly know what that meant, but <laughs> comparing it to nowadays, it's not, it wouldn't do whatever. But anyway, that's how I remember. That's the first time I heard that song. And then two weeks later, the album came out. But Melissa, what do you think of two minutes to midnight? Two minutes to midnight is the, the great well, it's a great song. It's a great song anyway. Um, it's an Adrian song. So obviously the guitar work is exceptional. And one of the things that you see throughout this whole album is I think that you see um, the bass is really up front in this whole album. And Two Minutes is no is just a fine example of that as well as is, is another one where it's just out, it's out front. The thing about when you get to two minutes to midnight, when you do aces high two minutes to midnight, it is an amazing one, two punch. It just sets the tone. It just sets the tone. It's just, um, it, it's a song that's super catchy. And you know, the other interesting thing about two minutes to midnight is it's one of those songs that even like casual maiden fans like this song, right? Um, they know it, they enjoy it. They like it. People who even aren't even rent quote unquote heavy metal people tend to like this song as well so it, it kind of ticks all the boxes yes and eric yeah so this is actually if you want to go back to actually our beast podcast uh i had mentioned this but two minutes to midnight is the first song i ever learned on the six string it was not easy but uh you know it was a challenge it was a blast and you've got to say that main riff is iconic um you know, Bruce, Nico, and the rest of the band are really hitting on all cylinders. Um, from the intro to the verse, the pre-chorus is kind of crazy. Uh, what, what's going on there? And the chorus is, I mean, it's, it's chorus will be in your head for hours on end. Um, it, it's a great song. I, I can't get enough of it. Even though, even though Sirius XM at one point was overplaying it, I was like, hey, it's still a great song. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I, I guess I don't need to say anything else about that. But and it's funny, it's a six-minute song. It's kind of surprising now that I look at it. Well, yeah, it's six minutes long as the first single, but obviously it wasn't played on your top 40 stations, of course, so it doesn't really matter. Then we go to Lost for Words, which was mentioned <laughs> earlier is an instrumental. Uh Eric, you mentioned something about this already, but go ahead about this instrumental. So an instrumental as just the third track is a calculated risk. But uh, as we know, Maiden were great risk takers. Um, the song is in 12-8 uh, meter. So these triplets are just pulsating fiercely throughout the entire song. Um, Smith and Murray just have these great tastefully done uh, harmonies and what you could call the chorus, or it's really like the main theme. Um, they really, really let the song kind of breathe and you could whistle that, that melody actually, if, if you were so to choose, um, I've got to say also, this is something that's kind of, kind of been on the back of my mind, honestly, uh, with this particular song, but I've got to say, I, I'm no drummer. I'm sure Tom could chime in at some, you know, some other point, but I've got to say this song and where Eagles dare, in my opinion, are it's Nico McBrain's finest hour. Uh, the, his drumming is sensational on this album, along with Steve Harris. They're just like one. They're they're just so tight and cohesive. Um, it's it's a fun instrumental. I, I feel like it does get overlooked. I don't want to say that too much during this podcast because they're. I feel like they're like three sleepers on this album. Uh, mm -hmm, besides mm -hmm. this agreed, two, agreed. Yeah. Well. I, I find it funny that they, because they had an instrumental on the debut album, and then they had a the Ides of March on Killers, which is only a minute thing. It was an intro, but they didn't have anything on the Beast. They didn't have one on Peace. They didn't have one on Seventh Son, did they? I don't think. No. So it's kind of odd that they, in time. <laughs> they threw one in on here. But anyway, so what do you think, Melissa? Lost for words. I like the title though, Lost for Words. So there's Lost no for words. They couldn't come up with any lyrics. Um, I. I I think it's interesting that you point out the placement of this song because it is it is a tricky a tricky placement for the song. There kind of is nowhere else to put it. 
and if you if you think about it the first two are such bangers it's kind of like a workout right this is kind of your cool down uh you kind of can you know regroup if you if you're thrashing out <clears throat> it's um it's a really great song i think that it suffers from the fact that because it's an instrumental people are always comparing it to uh genghis khan which is their their everybody's favorite uh you know everybody's favorite um instrumental instrumental for them right. but I, I think it's a great song i think it's um i think it's catchy and i think it's an interesting it's an interesting concept to have a catchy song that has no lyrics because mm -hmm. like you said you can sort of like hum to it or whistle to it or tap your foot to it or it just um it's a good song it, it and and it can't be anywhere else on the album it has to be where it is and it's it's a good song and then we go to Flash of the Blade, which I mentioned briefly. They've never played live, even though it's one of my favorite songs on the, well, I could say it was one of my favorite songs on the album, but I could say that about six other ones. Anyway, But anyway, <laughs> Melissa, what do you think of Flash of the Blade? I love this song. I am with you. It is such an underrated song. I would love to see them do this song live. This song is so, Bruce's vocals are amazing. It's so catchy. It's got a really, really memorable chorus. Um, it's, I wish people would, I think the, I think what happened, the problem with this song is that it suffers from being on an album with so many iconic songs. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and that's what sort of makes it lower on everybody's list is that it gets overlooked because of the song Power Slave or Two Minutes or a Rhyme or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. It just, it's sort of, um, it, it sort of suffers from being on a really, really great album. And that maybe if it was on, you know, Fear of the Dark, it might be considered a better, people might like it better. Good point. Eric, what do you think of Flash of the Blade? Um, well, I've got a, I've got to uh, echo uh, Melissa's sentiments about the chorus. It's instantly recognizable. Um, it's very memorable. Uh, the, you know, the guitar intro with the pull-offs, is really clever it's it's pretty simple to play but it sounds awesome which is what it's all about how it sounds um the verses just are churning i've uh, already covered the chorus um and this is just this is kind of one of my one of my three under the radar songs by by maiden off of this album and then we have the six minute the do list which it's funny because i know that uh bruce uh is a uh, did Fencer. archery that's what it's called Fencer. right fencing Fencer, sorry fencing. <laughs> archery yeah that's not right sorry <laughs> i just forgot my word so it's funny that steve harris wrote this one because it sounds like bruce dickinson wrote it when you listen to it but <laughs> the lyrics i mean that is but uh eric what do you think of the do list yeah so lyrically this does share some similarities of flash of the blade but mm -hmm. as you noted Harris did write the lyrics to this song. Dickinson wrote lyrics to Flash of the Blade. Yes. Um, yeah, so I, one thing that I found interesting about this song is it's actually based off of the film by Ridley Scott called The Duelist in 1978. That's something I recently discovered. Um, I think the song is top notch. Um, it's actually, I would argue, it has the most melodic chorus uh, on the entire album, um, and it has has some uh, some pretty nice guitar work throughout. This is my number two. Like just people uh, like your casual fans. No, nope, they don't. They don't know du the Duelists. Hardcore fans like the three of us. Ah, uh, yeah, it's it's old hat. We know it well. <laughs> and it's funny that those these two are the two songs. The ones. Uh, that they never played live is kind of strange. But anyway, Melissa, what do you think of the Duelist? So I think that the Duelist is definitely a companion piece to Flash of the Blade. They kind of go together. Uh, you almost think that if they're going to do it live, they have to do the two of them together. Uh, they, um, both of them, we were just talking about this before, about how catchy Flash of the Blade is. Well, Duelist is equally catchy. It's got a super catchy chorus, and it's got a, it's just, it's a long song. And I think that, you know, some people 
say, oh, well, I don't know that instrumental part in the middle is too long or whatever, but I think it's just banging. I absolutely love this song. And that's the end of side one. If we go back to our old vinyl days, <laughs> at least I do. But anyway, and you know, can can I interject for a second? So yes. let's talk about that side one. So you kind of have like the two banging songs out at the gate, and then you kind of have the cool down, and then you have the two banging songs to sort of finish it off. Yes, and then side <laughs> two is. And Blake, can oh, I interrupt? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was looking through my notes and I was like, oh man, good Lord. I missed like my, my, my key highlight and Melissa touched on it, you know, on point once again, but that interlude section with the guitar harmonies and then the drums and bass, they're, they're like, they're kind of, it's like a call and response. Yes. Just, it's genius. It really is. So it's so intelligent songwriting. You, you know what it, it reminds you yeah. of? If you listen to it, it's like a duel, right? The call and response. It's like a duel. So true. Okay, now side two. <laughs> now there's only three songs on side two, but of course that's because we have two of the longest songs. And it starts off with Back in the Village, which isn't too short either at five minutes. This was written by Adrian Smith. He's That's his only, oh, it's a second rating credit yeah, on the lyrics there, also with Two Minutes Midnight. So, uh, oh my God, Eric, I think it's your turn. What do you think of Back in the Village? Okay, well, here, here's my other, you know, my third sleeper of the album. Uh, musically, this is uh, one of the more technical pieces. Uh, the guitar playing is just off the charts. I mean, everybody, you know, they're, they're really, they brought their chops on this one. And the tempo is like a shell shot out of a tank. If you listen to it, I mean, it, it moves just like aces high. Um, vo the vocals are on par for the duration of the entire song. Uh, the, the chorus parts are brief. It's pretty simplistic, but they're direct and to the point. Uh, the solos absolutely rip. Uh, this is this is a great song. No, make Le no bones about it. Melissa. So I love this song. Um, the guitar is amazing because it's Adrian Smith. It's also this song is supposed to be uh, speaking of companion pieces is supposed to be about uh the prisoner that tv show from mm -hmm. back in the day oh yeah um, yes. so i lost my train of thought oh so what i was going to say is this is a great song my only brief is i don't like the way it ends <laughs> it just is weird how it ends and Maybe that that's... kind of it kind of not ruins it completely for me but it takes it down a little bit for me because the end is weird you just mean the very end, like the, the very end, the back oh, okay. of the village, back of the village, back of the village. <laughs> <Okay>. Again. <laughs> I like when he says, I see sixes all the way. I don't know why that line always sticks out at me. I'm not sure, but anyway. Um. Uh, okay, sorry. Yeah, I like that song too. I'm not going to say anything else about it, but yeah, that's one of my favorite songs. And they've only played it twice live. That's weird. And why would you play a song only twice? I don't understand that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Power Slave, and we'll let Melissa talk about Power Slave. So some people consider this an epic. Some people don't consider it an epic. Um, it's the title track off the album. It's sort of an interesting thing about the album, how the theme is sort of Egyptian on the cover, but it isn't really. This is only the, the only song that's kind of kind of ties into that at all. Yes. Um, the the vocals are so amazing on this song i mean the vocal performance on this song is just next level he just does an amazing job singing this song and it's it's a long song but it doesn't feel long it doesn't seem plodding it just seems like it goes by really fast for me anyway because i really enjoy this song well, it's not an epic, I guess, because Ram and the Ancient Mariner comes after it. But anyway. <laughs> well, some people said it's an, say it's an epic. But yes, it does. Yes. And Eric, what, Power Slave? Uh, one of Maiden's darker pieces, uh, lyrically and musically. Um, the verse riff, uh, they just really bring this gallop that sets the stage for this gem. Uh, I love every aspect of this song. 
Um, yes, I, I definitely agree with Melissa vocally. Bruce just he's he's he brings the magic. I mean, it just sounds incredible. The uh, the breakdown in the middle is unexpected and brilliant. And Murray has that nice I mean, that solos just you can feel it. And um, and then boom, they just ramp it up. And um, and it's just it's an outstanding song. Really love Power Slave. Yes, as do I. And uh, Testament did a cover of Power Slave, which I think is awesome, too. I agree. Yeah, it's yeah, strong. did a good job. If, okay, yeah. yeah. I'm sure a lot of these songs have been, well, maybe not. Well, at least, I know Ace's High has been covered by a few bands, and I'm sure Two Minutes has been that is. I don't think too many people have covered Rhyme the Ancient Mariner, though. So, uh, Eric, let's start talking about that song. Well, since I wrote so much uh, preparation <laughs> on, like, the other songs, I'm here with a song that tops in uh, over 13 minutes from the Ancient Mariner. I wrote one sentence, but it's okay. I've heard the song, you know, plenty of times. Uh, I would have to argue that this uh, juggernaut is Steve Harris's most complete composition. Uh, every part of this song is perfect. It fits. I would say there's no fluff in the song. Is it a long song? Sure it is. It's epic, but it remains interesting. Uh, the little harmony sections are really well done. The different interludes. Dickinson sounds great. Uh, his vocals might be the best out of all of all of the albums. Never really thought about it, but his vocals might be the absolute yeah. best on this album. Um, but they, um, you know, the Steve Harris, that, that breakdown section in the middle with the spoken word, Steve Harris is doing this uh, augmented arpeggiation. Uh, it's a bit ominous. That was very creative. Um, I never heard any bands come close to trying anything like that. Uh, that definitely left an impact. I guess we'll save a little bit of the live after death talk for later. I definitely want to touch on that for uh, Mariner at some point. Um, but um, yeah, I really, I like that section where the guitars are just kind of, they're just going back and forth playing 16th notes on the D and then Harris is doing that doodly 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 It's great, man. I just, I just love that um, as I do my, my best vocal rendition of Mr. Steve Harris on bass, but <laughs> that was just such a creative, um, excellent section and Bruce is up for, he's up for the occasion. I mean, he, he really rises to the occasion and Sounds excellent, and I could I could listen to I could listen to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner every day and not tire of it. It's it's one of the best epics ever written. Yes, and Melissa. So I agree with you on that. You know what I think about Rhyme is it, it almost comes off like a classical piece. There's so many different parts. Mm. We know people talk about Prague, and you know that this is this is their this is a prog song and all this kind of stuff, but I, I feel it's more got a classical feel to it because there's You're so right. much atmosphere. You feel mm -hmm. like you feel what you feel, what is going on. You, the music brings you to the boat. It brings when the boat is sinking and when, you know, and, and when they're, they're fighting for him and, you know, all the different things that are happening in the story, you feel it. And you feel it, you feel it because of the vocals, but you also feel it because of the music. And yeah, there's some like there's the rain, the thunder, you can hear the the rain and thunder, and but it's it's not overpowering. It's just it's very understated, so that it's not it's not like um it's That's not overtaking ambient. the music, it's more atmospheric than trying to just, you know, make thunder and lightning so loud that oh, it's thunder and lightning. You want it to be sort of undertone so that it's so that there's and you touch on this about the layers. You can listen to the song over and over and over again because there's so many layers. It's much like a Rush song for me where you can listen to listen to the song over and over again and you get something new out of it every time you listen to it. Yes, like and I think, yeah. I did, didn't I, I did, on our Number of the Beast episode, did we do our top Maiden songs? I can't remember. Did we? We did, we did, but we omitted the first two albums. Okay. Which yeah, would have made okay. it more difficult, but... But I think I put Ryan and the H. Mary was my number one maiden song. It was. It probably still is then, yes. <laughs> Even with the first two, of course. It was <laughs> so anyway, that's the album. Um, I wanted to also mention, of course, this was produced by Martin Birch, who produced a lot of the earlier maiden albums. 
And we're going to rate it out of 10. I'm going to let Melissa say, what would you rate this album out of 10? I might have to go a 9.75 just because I have a problem with the way back to the village ends. <laughs> and Eric, what do you give it out of 10? This is a resounding 10 out of 10. <laughs> Okay, I was going to give it, I'm giving it a nine. I don't know. Uh, nine? Why? Yeah. I, I'm i not really, I don't, I, even though you both love the instrumental, I mean, I don't hate the instrumental, but I just think it's not needed. <laughs> okay. Oh, there. Mm. Now, would you say that to Steve Harris and, uh, yeah, I would. And spaces, you know, <laughs> just messing with you. Well, <laughs> I would say, how come we've never played Flash of the Blade live? I would say yeah, that. I like that. Definitely, I like definitely that. ask that question. Or, or back in the village you know, more than twice. Right? Anyway. <laughs> um, oh, we're, I'm on the wrong page. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So, let's talk about... We're going to talk about live stuff. But first, I'm going to let Eric talk about live after death because I know he desperately wants to. <laughs> uh yeah i can't say i really did much in the way of prep work for this because i was you know really focused on the power slave that's fine but but the one thing like the the um the big takeaway uh to me with live after death is you're hearing many of these songs played at a faster tempo um mm -hmm. but maiden really pulled off well and one of the songs in particular um you know, for, for a band like Iron Maiden, Power Slave was never going to be one of their faster songs, but they do play it noticeably faster on Live After Death, and it works very well. I mean, I'm a fan of the original. You heard me earlier, but I, I, I actually, I, I, I like it better on uh, Live After Death. Um, that's one that stands out. Hallowed Be Thy Name. You heard me gush about that if you listen to the Number of the Beast podcast. If you didn't, go back and definitely listen to that one. Um, but Bruce really gets the audience participation and Hallowed Be Thy Name. It really makes a difference. Um, it's right before they go back into the, I'm going to say the third verse, but uh, they're doing their, doing their harmonies, doing their thing. And uh, Bruce is, you know, Long Beach Arena, raising his arms <laughs> up, He's getting that audience into it. Um, Running Free is another one, I got to say. I know, I don't, I, I think that one was kind of boring for you, Blake, but it's, it's a simple song. But it's uh, it's definitely one of those anthems, and that's one that I feel is so much better than the first album. I don't know how you feel, Blake, but it's good on the original album, and I like Diano. We we've talked about this, but I feel like the the mix and the energy from the audience and the, the just the guitar tones are much bigger, and the crowd just eats it up. They love it. Um, Wrathchild is another one. It's played a little bit faster, but that's one that I thought they did a hell of a job on. Um, I love you. I love you, Paul Diano, but boy, Dickinson just—he brings some veracity uh, with uh, with Wrathchild. He sounds so good on that tune. Um, fan of the Opera. Uh, I guess we weren't able to rate that one in our top ten since the first two albums were excluded. But Fan of the Opera would very much be a top ten, especially with Bruce Dickinson on vocals. Um, that's another one where you can really hear the crowd clapping. They're getting into it. Um, I'm just scanning over this. Um, I probably shouldn't say too much about this song because uh, a certain somebody on here is a pretty huge fan of peace of mind. Uh, I'm going to try to leave it to one sentence, but revelations, love it on peace of mind. Somehow it's better, in my humble opinion, on live after death. It is definitely faster. I mean that and the crowd is just raging oh my gosh those harmonies you can clearly hear like Steve's Steve Harris's bass somehow sounds even better I don't know how he does it and Bruce you know, Bruce totally brings his a game on live after death um but I think that is probably it for me for live after death uh so did you want to add in album. Yeah, I got a couple things to add in. So um, I agree with you on uh, Revelations. I do love it live. And I think that it, it just works really well live. And it's my favorite song, spoiler alert. So I'm going to love it every way I can get it. Um, I 
do agree that Running Free is great on uh, the live album, although I will tell you that I am a massive uh, Clive Burr fan, so I do love me some Clive Burr. <laughs> Here's my problem with Live After Death. I think that Rhyme and Hallowed are too fast. Hmm. I think that it seems like Bruce is struggling to keep up with them. And the funny thing is, and and Blake can probably attest to this because he went, I saw this, I saw this tour, and I don't recall it being, I don't recall it being like that. But then of course you're live in the moment, you probably don't pick up on it or whatever. But that's that's my gripe, is that I think that Hallowed and Rhyme are too fast. I do like Power Slave faster. I agree with you on that. And I do think that part of the great thing about this album is the the whole, I don't say the message that it's conveying, but you get, you really feel like it's a live album. You really feel like you're there. They They did a really good job of capturing that whole vibe of being at one of those shows. Um, I was going to say, oh, the thing I like about it is just because it's the tour that I first seen them at. So it's a nice thing to have right. that the right. first live album is the tour that I saw. And so and I'm pretty sure they played the same. They're not like Metallica where they kind of change songs. I think they do the same songs every night, it seems like, or back then they did anyway, on their tours. So it's, it's nice to have that. I haven't listened to it in a long time, so I can't really... I'd have to refresh my memory on, you know, <laughs> if they're playing them too fast or whatever. Well, the, but the side D is actually is Hammersmith. It's not actually Long Beach, right? Um, oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And here, here's an interesting little tidbit: is I saw the show right before the Long Beach shows because mm. I saw the show. I saw this. I saw this tour three times, and I saw it twice in Florida. And I saw it once in Hawaii and it was right before they were in Hawaii and then they came over California. Hmm. Okay. Um, That's pretty cool. Now I was going to talk about, now we're kind of mentioning it here, but talking about seeing them live. And as I said, me and Eric have already talked about seeing them live. So we're going to talk to Melissa about seeing them live. How many times have you seen Iron Maiden live, Melissa? I've seen them 53 times. I saw them the first time in 1981 when they opened for Judas Priest on the Point of Entry tour. And the last time that I saw them was I just went to Europe and I saw them in Dublin, Glasgow and Manchester on this tour, this, their latest tour. And um, what would be, do you have like a favorite one out of the all of well, them? Well, that's what know, I have to ask. There is, you know, I think, and somebody asked me this before and it's like there's so many it's all different for different reasons right like i went i went to hawaii to see my friend she was in the navy at the time um so you know that was a pretty amazing you know pretty amazing to be in hawaii and you know go to, to go to an iron maiden concert um power slave was such a world slavery tour was such a big tour it was so amazing. But then, you know, Peace of Mind is my favorite album. So there's that. And then there's, you know, the very first time that I saw them. And then I saw them at Download. Uh, so it's like, it depends on who you're with. It just, there's a lot of factors that go into it. So I can't, I can't say anything. I can't say a definitive one time. This yeah. new tour, I mean, I don't want to, uh, spoiler alerts, I think everybody knows the set list, you know, you get to see Alexander the Great, you get to see Stranger in a Strange Land, you know, you get to see, and that sort of harkens back to when when we saw them in 86, which I think both of you guys said you saw that tour. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like, it, every tour, there's always something special about it, whether it's where you are, because I travel, I travel uh, all over to see me, I travel all over the world to see them. So whether it's about the company that you're with, the venue, the, the, the city or country that you're in, or just your state of mind or the set list, you know, there's just so many things that play into it. Here's the bottom line is, you're never gonna have a bad Iron Maiden show, ever. Yes. Amen. 
Now, so I will it up say, and sing the phone book, and we'll all be happy. <laughs> I I don't know. I I don't really. I didn't really keep count, but I've seen them around ten times. I guess I'm gonna say. And uh, my fa- I do have a favorite concert actually, and it was one when, when they went on tour and only played songs from the first four albums. Did you see that tour? Yes, I did. Now, even though I do like Power Slave too, but the first four are some of my favorite ones. So that was nice just to hear songs from those because I heard songs like Another Life that I don't think right. they play very much live. So I got to hear that one, and it's one of my favorite songs off Beast. And so it was nice to just know I'm only going to hear the early songs. Now, I can't remember what year that was. But anyway, that I just have that as my favorite one, even though, of course, the first one, the Power Slave one, is also special because it's the first heavy metal concert I've ever seen with Twisted Sister opening up. Yeah, although I saw a Twisted Sister in uh, Florida, but in Hawaii, it was the band Warrior that opened for them. Oh, was it? Oh, that they used to be called USA Warrior? Is that group you mean? Um, I don't know. I think they've always been just Warrior. Do they have an album called Fighting for the Earth? Yes. Yeah. They were called, once they were called USA oh, Warrior. I don't, I don't know that much. Of, I mean, I knew who they were, but I didn't. Yeah. yeah. I, remember, I think I have that, I I think I have that tape, actually. Yeah, I have it on a burned CD, so I'm sorry if I stole music or something. I don't even remember how I got it, but I remember I liked the album. But at that time, yeah, yeah they were good. called, there must have been another group called Warrior that wasn't from the United States. <laughs> so they called themselves USA warrior. I don't know, but anyway. Okay. So now we're going to do our top 10 Iron Maiden albums of their whole career. I think I'm going to start, we're going to finish with Melissa since she's new. And so I'm going to go first, I guess. So I'm going to start with my number 10. Now I should say, I was talking to Eric before we started here that my number seven to 10, I don't really listen to these albums anymore. I mean, I'll listen to a song here and there from them, but I don't really pull out the album and listen to it end to end. But anyway, so number 10, I got a matter of life and death. Number nine, I have somewhere in time. Number eight, I have fear of the dark. Number seven, I have Brave New World. Number six, I have the debut album, Iron Maiden. Number five, I have No Prayer for the Dying. And number four, we got Peace of Mind. Number three, I have Power Slave. Number two, I have Killers. And my number one is The Number of the Beast, probably more for sentimental reasons, even though it's still a great album, of course. But since it's the first real heavy metal album I had, that's kind of why it's my favorite metal album of all time, because that was the one that changed my life. (laughs) So, Eric, let's hear your top 10. All right. Well, I warned you in a text message that I could very well pull out my hair. Uh, fortunately, you both see that I still have hair on my head, but this was uh, this was more challenging than I thought it mm. would be. Um, my top three, I mean, I guess it's kind of a, a, a safe bet. I, I pretty much could have roll a die. The top three, I love all three of those albums so much. But let's go ahead and start it off with number 10 here because I want we got to make sure that Melissa has time to, to talk. So number 10, I'm going to go with Book of Souls. Uh, hmm. I had a shuffle going the last couple of days, and there are some fine tunes on there. Number nine, Somewhere in Time. Uh, number eight, A Matter of Life and Death. Uh, boy, that one's got some, got some great tunes. It's a very proggy album. That's probably why I like it quite a bit. Uh, speaking of proggy, uh, one of Blake's favorites. No, not really. Seventh Son of a Seventh Son is number seven. Uh, no, I didn't map that out. That's just where it landed. Um, and that was actually my favorite tour, by the way, uh, that I saw was Seventh Son. Um, number six, uh, Brave New World. Um, number five, Iron Maiden. Number four, Killers. Ah, oh, so many great songs. Man, give me some Murders in the Room, Morg. Ah, oh, what a great tune. So many other great songs. Anyway, um, this is where it got a little bit tricky but again i listen to these top my top three i could listen to these every single day no exaggeration uh number three peace of mind um such a great album number two 
the number of the beast. The variety on this album is, is really good. Um, and it was hard for me. But Power Slave just, number one, obviously, Power Slave just has that, it's like it's in another gear for like the whole album. Um, and as Melissa had stated, and you listen to Maiden play these songs on Live After Death and some other tours, Ace is high, two minutes to midnight, bam. I mean, they just hit you in the face and you smile afterwards. So great. Um, you close with Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I mean, I don't know if it gets much better. Hallowed be, the na Hallowed be thy name. Got to slow down here. It's right there, too. But, uh, man, Power Slave's number one for me. Okay. I thought I thought, seventh, I thought Seventh Son would have been higher on your list, the way you talked. I thought you might think that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Melissa, let's hear your top ten. All right. I changed this a few times. I, I struggled <laughs> with this as well. Um, mm. So, number ten, uh, Book of Souls. Um, I think there is a lot of good stuff on that album. I think a lot of people kind of like listen to it a couple of times and then moved on. They should probably give it a give it a better shot. Uh, number nine, uh, Matter of Life and Death. Uh, great album. Um, and then number eight, I have Seventh Son. And number seven, Brave New World, which is my favorite of the new era. Mm -hmm. Um, then somewhere in time is number what do we have six? Number five, killers. Number four, power slave. Number three, Iron Maiden. Number two, number of the beast. And number one, everyone knows it, peace of mind. And peace of mind because of uh, revelations. And there's a lot of really I love the prisoner. There's a lot of good stuff on that on that album you know it depends on your day of the week right because tomorrow it could be it could be power slave could be number one you know it kind of depends on on my mood you yes. know um I like everything you. else it's very it's very uh you know subjective as to whether or not this is your number one album or your number one song or whatever well revelation is always my number one but there's so many good there's so many good songs and the i think the takeaway is that there's so many underrated songs there's so many songs that are nestled in the middle there that you kind of have to seek out and spend some quality time with these albums not listening to just spotify playlists but actually listening to the album from top to bottom whether it's the cd or the album or you play it on spotify from beginning to end and just let it go through and listen to the whole album and i think you're going to find a lot of really hidden gems well i was talking to eric about like some of these later albums and how I, I find that they're too long. Some of them, so, cause I know they like, you know, cause in the old, like the beast or whatever killers power sleeve, even probably they're all under 45 minutes, probably. Right. Yeah. I mean, we all know, we all know that um, the latter albums, they, they got a little long in the tooth that they could have, they could use some editing, even, you know, Senjutsu has a lot of great stuff on it, but, they could do some snipping and a lot of people say that you know kevin shirley doesn't you know doesn't have enough juice to you know to tell steve to trim it in whereas you know maybe <laughs> martin birch would have told him to and i don't know if that's true or not but yeah they definitely could do some trimming that said they're probably not going to be doing any trimming so you're just going to have to get over it and um and just find the the really good stuff on the on the albums you know what i mean but yeah i mean they they like to jam now they just they like to elongate all their songs <laughs> you're, no, never gonna get, you're never gonna get you know you're never gonna get like the first two albums right um yeah and and for a number of reasons i mean to be honest they're mm -hmm. not the same band they really aren't after the first two mm -hmm. albums they really changed yes i mean they Partly because they, you know, have a new lead singer, but also because the songs changed. Yes. And you know, Steve doesn't like to be compared to uh, to talk about his punk influence, even though we all know that the first two albums do have some punk influences. And part uh -huh. of the punk influence is the shorter songs. Yes, I would say "No Prayer for the Dying" was the last one that kind of 
had the old like because it had a lot of shorter songs on it and then after that they really went for more progressive and you don't want to know where that is on my list <laughs> ditto <laughs> i'd love no prayer for the dying oh god <laughs> can i add one thing so the, yes um, a matter of life and death you know since blake and i were talking about this so it does run the track time like i told him the other night I don't I don't look at the the entire length of the album, but a matter of life and death is an hour and 12 minutes. So that's I guess that's a long album. Um, but you have songs like Brighter Than a Thousand Suns oh. and For the Greater Good of God, I listened to today. And that's that's probably a top 20 maiden song for me, Absolutely. honestly. Yeah. And I noticed yeah, there's no mm -hmm. there's no Blaze Bailey albums on your lists. Actually, you know, I will be I will be honest with you about this. If we were doing the ranking all of the studio albums, they're higher than you think they are for me because uh, mm -hmm. they actually beat out No Prayer for the Dying. <laughs> mm. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I just Bruce's vocals are terrible on that album. I just I really don't like his raspy whatever 90s thing what he's trying to do there. He's, I just don't. He does and, sound but, strange. But yeah. did you guys see this tour? Because a lot of these songs that kind of that I don't really like on No Prayer transferred really well live. An example of that is Tail Tail Gunner. They open with Tail Gunner. What a great song live! Mm -hmm. Agreed. But then Bruce, but Bruce was singing it. He wasn't doing that graspy, weird thing that he was doing on this, and then subsequently on Tattooed Millionaire. And you know, he was yeah, doing I, his, I can't recall if I I can't recall if I seen that tour or not. Like it uh, was stripped down. It wasn't there wasn't a, a lot of bells and whistles. And they open with Tail Gunner. And, and I'm not a big fan of, um, I was just on X earlier today talking about uh, Hooks and You. It's not one of my, my favorite of the, um, of the Charlotte uh, saga. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so do we, want to add any, do we want to add anything about anything here? Anybody have anything else to add about Power Slave or Iron Maiden? or anything well if you don't own it definitely get yourself a copy of power slave you're missing out on one of the finest albums great and, and maybe melissa maybe you and do you think is there another album going to be coming do you think yeah i mean i think that they i think right now they're gonna they gotta do two things one they gotta make sure that nico's okay yes right and the second thing is they got to figure out what they're going to do as far as taking this tour that is sort of half fast coming to North America as they have that power trip and they have the the four, the four shows in in uh, Canada, which I'm going to Edmonton, by the way. Mm -hmm. Are you? So Very cool. It's it's up. It's it's sort of up for grabs. I, I just it doesn't seem logical to me that they would just come all this way with all their gear and entourage and all of that for you know four or five shows it just kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense it's very expensive to do that it seems like yes. if they're going to be here they might as well just be here yes <laughs> you know they really mean? make it's, the most sense yeah. and yeah think... you know as long as, you, as long as you're gonna if you're gonna come with everything i mean it's a lot to bring all that stuff over from europe you know they have a large crew they have you know all the pyrotechnics and all the stage props and everything and it, you know they just have too much stuff to just like come over for a weekend you know what i mean they just they've got to come over for a while they've just as long as they're as long as they're this close it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense for them to just do those few shows and then go back to europe it just kind of doesn't make any sense to me maybe they're vacationing in edmonton <laughs> well i think the last show that they do that's scheduled is in ottawa right that they have planned is it? I, I haven't even looked at. I think it goes Power Trip, Vancouver, Edmonton, Ottawa. Hmm. I think that. Th so I think that's it. I think that might be the four shows. I think I might be missing one. Calgary. I hope hey, they. I, I hope they come to possibly DC. Calgary. Yes. Yeah, but it just oh. seems weird. I mean, doesn't it seem weird that they would be like ha go half of Canada? Why not? If you, I mean, if you're. If you're in Ottawa, you can't get to. You're not going to go to Toronto or Montreal. I mean, you're right there. Well, they were just they were just in <laughs> Hamilton, which is close to Toronto for people that aren't from Canada. Uh, just last year, I believe, because I had friends that were going, and I said, "Well, I'm not going, whatever." 
So I am surprised that they're coming back to Ottawa again so soon. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, so I don't know what's going on with that. I didn't even really pay pay attention. Well, no, I mean they were listen, they were they were in London last year. They were in London this year. I mean it's. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it, it, and the thing is it's a different show, right? So even if yes. they were here last year, even if they were in Hamilton last year, the show that they're playing in Ottawa is a different show. Oh, okay. I didn't know if they were on the same tour or what. No, 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 no. It's a different. I, I, I just saw this new tour, and it's a different tour. The future okay. past tour is a different tour. Oh, okay. And so, what is the future past tour, though? Like, what? So are they it's playing? a combination of the Somewhere in Time, the 1986 tour, Somewhere on Tour, and the Sinjutsu. And so oh, they okay. do a mix of the two albums and a couple oh, okay. of hits. Okay. And I was going to mention this earlier. I forgot to mention this, but this album, Power Slave, came out in 1984. That was their fifth album in five years, <laughs> which yeah, is unheard of today. Nobody ever makes even uh, two albums in two years, let alone five albums in five years. But I know yeah, that's yeah. the changing of times, and now they're touring for three years to support an album or whatever. And and of course, they're not young anymore either. Well, well, back in the day, I mean, Saxon had two albums out in one year, right? 1980 and Motorhead did the same thing. So yeah, I mean, a, lot, yeah a lot of bands had did, two albums. You did your <laughs> albums and then you toured it, you know, and now it's kind of reversed because there's no yeah. money to be made. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Anyway, okay. So I guess we should wrap this up. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been great. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was fun. So everybody, again, check us out on our website, www.themetalpit.org for album reviews, interviews, and links to these podcasts and everything else. So thanks to everybody for listening. Goodbye.